Okay, I think that I'm organized. And we're good? Yep, we're good. Perfect. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Yawa. We want to say, first of all and foremost, thank you for everybody for sending questions this week. It's absolutely fantastic that every week we're still getting blown up with all of the questions from all the people interested in hearing our answers. But I also wanted to mention, we do get a lot of repeated questions. So that means you should subscribe to our channel and check out the playlist that includes all of our previous 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 Yawas. That's a word. That's a word. Got it. Spit it out there. Previous Yawas and watch them. Or guess what? If you don't have time to watch them, check them out on um, our podcasts, wherever they're at. Yeah, they're everywhere. Anywhere you want to listen to a podcast, you Uh, can pull up our Ethan and Cat, Standing Stone Kennels, Yawa. Yeah, so you can check those out and listen to them too and catch up on some of the great questions that we were able to answer in previous Yawas um, because we definitely want to be getting to new content and new answers for you guys so that we have as much information out there as possible. Absolutely. And the other side of it is we're going to change this around a little bit. As we continue to grow, things need to shift in order to continue to work properly. And instead of the weekly posts that we've been making, what we're asking you guys to do and new people to do is if you have questions for us, comment them in these videos, the Yawa videos. There will be three each week that come out. All you need to do is throw a comment in there with your question or any comments that you have, but we will sort through those and that's where we post them. We are not going to be posting a social post on Instagram or Facebook anymore. Now, I think that it was adding some confusion because people were just expecting us to answer every single question that was getting asked. And unfortunately, we cannot do that. I mean, we get hundreds of questions and if you truly are you know, trying to get a question answered and we aren't getting to it on a you know, weekly basis for these. You can definitely check us out on our online dog training community on Patreon as well, which is a great way to get questions answered or get feedback on training sessions if you um, need help with that as well. Absolutely. So I think that's a majority of the paperwork. We're going to mention that multiple times throughout this week so that we can hopefully have a seamless transition. In part three as well. Yeah. So everybody always wants to know I am again drinking whiskey. This wouldn't technically be bourbon. This is a rye. I don't drink a ton of ryes, but this one is really, really tasty. It's a journeyman distillery out of Michigan, and it is called Last Feather Rye, which is kind of cool. Feathers, birds, or bird dogs. I love feathers. Yeah. I love feathers. This actually. is a, it's a really cool image. It would make a neat tattoo even. I mean, it's. I, I, I was actually thinking about that because I Where can some, I put a feather tattoo? Another feather tattoo, but you know. <laughs> Um, so, uh, it's, it's, uh, as far as flavoring goes, I am going to be sipping it here for the next hour and trying to come up with things and I will just blurt them out as they come. Cause it's got an interesting blurt them out. I like it. Yeah. You'll be in the middle of a question and be like, ah, leather. I taste leather. No, I don't know. But um, the, the, the thing about it though, is it, uh, right off the top, you get a rye flavor, which is kind of a spicy type of, um, rye flavor. Anybody that's a rye whiskey drinker knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's spice. It's kind of spicy. So, um, but it's not overpowering. Some of them are so strong that it basically, you know, is too much. And this is not at all. 
And it has some other things that are very subtle, but there, and I'm trying to figure them out. So as we do, I will try and blurt let them, them out. percolate on his palate. Yeah, and per- then percolating. Let I think them... that's co- making coffee, isn't it? I don't know. But that was a gift from Lee, right? Yes, from absolutely. From our last training. Almost completely forgot yeah. that. He's Thank so excited you. about the whiskey. <laughs> it's good. Sometimes you get uh, guests Wrapped to do it. It's it. like, so no, sometimes you get some, and this is the same thing with me. I'll go buy a bottle of something, go, ooh, this looks like it could be. And then you go, all right, so, eh. um, This one's really, really good. So thank you, Lee. We uh, definitely appreciate it. We definitely appreciate you supporting us. And and thanks for coming out for our training seminar when we talked about and went over trained retrieve stuff. So. so thank you for the whiskey. Speaking of trained retrieve, I'm just going to throw this out there and then we'll get right into questions. Uh, if you guys do subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow along with the videos we post pretty much daily, uh, you'll see that we've just started a new trained retrieve formal retrieving work series with legend. Uh, this is really cool because some of the very first videos that we ever put out on YouTube Back in the day. Back in the day, I was uh, shaggy-haired and... Uh, you had long... sideburns down to here. No, they stopped here at the chin line. I mean, come on now. Um, now he has a mustache in all of these. But um, so every like... ask you a question. So like every 10 years, I think we're going to have to redo these Train Retrieve series to see what facial hair feature Ethan <laughs> is uh, modeling this decade. Yeah. But uh, if you follow along, you'll be able to see Legends Progression, which like we said, it's kind of a redo of our previous Train Retrieve series, which is almost 10 years old. And we learn new things. We have trained lots and lots and lots and lots more dogs in the last 10 years. So we've learned what has worked, what things we've added to our protocol. Um, So definitely check it out on our, we have playlists and this is going to be a new playlist as well on that. So just thought I'd throw that out there while we were talking about it. Now let's get started with questions. I thought this was a good one, especially because we've got little questy pup here wandering around Um, from Peter's. Itama or Peter Sitama. Ha, maybe that's it on Instagram. Sorry if I butchered your Instagram tag, but around what age do y'all let your dog sleep out of their kennel and on their dog beds through the night? Thanks. It's a great question. And it 100% depends on the dog, but at the same time, um, I'm going to say on average, uh, over a year, Usually one-year-old is like that golden number, but it does depend on the dog. We've had some dogs that have been able to sleep out on their dog beds a little bit earlier than that, maybe like eight, nine months old. Um, And then some that needed a little bit more time as well because they just were notoriously naughty about trying to find something to get into in the middle of the night. And I'm a pretty light sleeper, so I usually hear it and can, you know, put the kibosh on that. But I am a pretty much not light sleeper, so I hear nothing other than... If she hits me long enough, I will eventually, here, hit the mic there, sorry. I'll eventually wake up, but um, it does take a bit. But we definitely, before that point, have put a ton of emphasis on place training and collar conditioning to stay on the dog bed and things like that so that when we use the cue kennel, if they are up wandering around, they know what that means and they know how to get back on the dog bed and that's what we want them to do. Um, But it's more about maturity- You taste pepper. Yeah. It's more about maturity and, you know, also good behaviors and not letting them get into naughty things because if they get away with it every night, they chew up 
something or get something, into the trash yeah. every single night, they're going to think, well, that's what I do every single night is I get an opportunity to go garbage diving or something. So um, if they're not ready for it, give them another month or two and then try again. Another recommendation for sleeping out overnight is definitely make sure that they've had an opportunity to burn off some energy throughout the day. So they're really ready to go to bed at night. Absolutely. So, Makes a big difference. Uh, uh, laid back, tired, not laid back, but tired, worn out dog. It's going to be much easier as far as that just laying down, going to sleep. So definitely the top end of this, you can taste the rye and some peppery, spicy kind of lots of that going on, which still, even though those flavors are there, it's not overpowering to the point where my tongue just goes. Okay. So well, thanks far, for chiming in on your palate. Pepper. Just hit me. Just hit you. Oh, it just hit you. I thought you wanted me to just hit you. I'm like, I can do that. So next question, and this is a good one. And I think that this person actually even maybe messaged it on Instagram Messenger as well as put it over on. So we, we will still take a few requests that way. But the majority of them, we would love to come as comments on YouTube videos. Yes. So this is another good question, though, from Seth C. Shepard. Seth C. Shepard. Thanks for all the great content you guys publish. You're welcome. Thanks for watching. Absolutely. I have a 14-week-old Griffon. He's as sweet as can be, but when we introduced a bird to him, he runs away and growls when I try to take it from him, even after some praise. He does the same thing with a bone. Is there anything we can do to stop this behavior while he's young? So that's a really good question, and the fact that you're um, recognizing that he's kind of consistently do that, doing that with bones and birds, both um, high-value rewards or um, items to him is important. Definitely, we wouldn't want to praise that behavior. And maybe I'm misunderstanding the way that you're talking about praising him. If he's got the bird or a dog bone, let's say, and he's kind of giving you growls and stuff, you don't want to be like, oh, good boy. It's okay. Good boy. Because you're just reinforcing that growling behavior. 100%. The, The retrieve of the bird, that's awesome. The growling over it and not wanting to give it up, not awesome. So we want to make sure that we're praising him for the retrieve and the good things he's doing, but not giving him any positive reinforcement for what he's doing that we don't want him to continue doing, which is growling about those things. I want to point out something specifically here because I've been hearing a ton of people send us stuff in regards to their young dogs, their puppies, their immature dogs that are growling and are aggressive and are these things are popping up. I want to point out one thing, and in this specific situation, if we seriously had an issue that wasn't fixable, all right, so you're, you're not too far gone. Definitely what's going on is not right, but it's fixable. If we were to have a dog that would pick up the bird and he would go lay down with it or something to that effect, right, and you walk up to him and he doesn't run away from you. He just lays there and says, don't touch my bird. That is a totally different situation than the dog that says, and and tries to run away with it. They're trying to keep it, and they're using different mechanisms that they know, which is to run away or to maybe grumble or to maybe whatever to say, I really want this. Um, The dog that's just laying there that says, yeah, try it. I dare you. That dog has got a a different uh, set of wires crossed there that says, 
you know, they don't understand the difference here. They, they solely feel like they're in charge of the situation and that you can do whatever you want, but you know, this is my bird and that's the end of it. Um, so understand that aspect of things that we were definitely fixable. We just need to go about things correctly. And sometimes even, um, play growl can be mistaken for aggressive growl and quest does it all the time with, um, yeah, when she she's was, been doing especially it all day. With a pup, when she was a puppy with like, if she'd grab a towel or a rope toy, she'd like, kind of give that, you know, like grumbly, growly, like excited exchanges with us. She does it. She greets people that way and her tail's wagging and she's happy, but she key there. So reading body language is yes. going to be important. And for this specific question and anytime anybody mentions, they feel like there's aggression or anything like that. That's where we say, Hey, shoot a video of what's going on, send it to us on Patreon so I can view it. Cause there's been times where I'm like, that's not aggressive. That's 100% puppy play. That's just interaction. And this is what you need to do to work through that, but it's not aggressive. So stop labeling it aggressive and don't feel apprehensive about it because you feel like it's aggressive. So that's very important. And a huge way that we can help you with this specific situation is through Patreon. It would be very helpful to actually see a video session of your bird introduction so that we can read what's going on a little bit more. Um, but it definitely doesn't sound like he's too far gone, but stopping the behavior, especially if it is more possessive and more resource guarding type of behavior would be something that we would recommend right away. Very faint amounts of vanilla. Okay. Um, so that was a really good question, Seth. I hope we were able to answer that for you, uh, pretty well, but also reach out to us on Patreon. We'd love to see what's going on and help you a little bit more. Next question is from Kelvin M Smith on Instagram, having trouble keeping my dog focused on training for more than 30 minutes, any tips. And this is something that I wanted to bring up because first of all, we need more information. Second of, well, yeah. second of, because how old is your dog? Is, you know, it an eight week old puppy, a 30 minute session or amount of focus is not going to happen. I mean, I can keep Zephyr who's, he's sleeping over in a crate over here. I can keep his focus for like 10 minutes, maybe anything more than that. I'm losing focus. And, um, so age of your dog would be really relevant as well as what kind of training are you doing? Um, I hate to keep like harping on it, but we're doing that trainer retrieve series right now with legend and Ethan talks about it all the time. Uh, keep these sessions short. You know, every video coming out is like eight to 12 minutes long. They're really short and really succinct. And there's a two to three minute introduction to that too. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. they're, they're short sessions. So they're like 10 minute sessions and that's about what we want to keep them at. So it depends on what you're working on. Obviously, if you're going to the field and you're doing a field run and field session, you're probably going to be in the field for 30 minutes. Um, but if you're doing anything else, as far as like obedience, basics, introductory work, keeping their focus for longer than that isn't always, um, doable depending on their age and what you're doing. Uh, now we talk about healing or we talk about place training with duration. Once we've built the basics and the foundation, we can definitely expect, um, to increase that duration for longer and longer so that they can focus and stay on their dog bed for more than, you know, 30 seconds or 30 minutes would be a great 
amount of time for them to be able to stay there and maybe need a reminder here and there that you're still supposed to be on your bed. Or if you're going for a walk and healing your dog, your dog should potentially, once you've built up to that point, be able to heal for that amount of time without constant reminders and constant handling um, and kind of get into that groove of this is where I need to be. So going back to my first statement, we need more information. Yes, please. But I wanted to hit on it because definitely 30-minute training sessions, really um, keeping their focus for that long, depending on what you're doing, is maybe a little bit of an unrealistic expectation. Again, depending on the situation and what you've got going on. And the best place, it sounds kind of like a, a common theme here this this episode, but the best place to, to reach out to us on that would be Patreon.com. I mean, almost every single day I am getting to those those questions there. So Yes. Last question, maybe? Yeah. Okay. From Clay Dan on Instagram, kind of rhymes. Do you have your dogs wear vests while hunting? Good question. Yes, but specific vests for specific tasks. So I wanted to talk about this because we're, you know, in the middle of summer, it's really hot. And I would hate for people to be wearing, you know, neoprene vests on their dogs out running in the field right now or doing any water work in neoprene vests. Those are definitely something that need to be used for cold weather and cold water retrieves only. Yeah, think about the fact that even short-haired coat, um, short-haired dogs have a fur coat on, I mean, to an extent. And it's, they're going to get hotter faster, especially throwing that extra vest on them when it's already hot because they're working hard and they don't, uh, a lot of them don't understand how to quit. So, right. And so we do, we use neoprene vests typically when we are waterfall hunting with the dogs. Um, there's a new vest out that we're really anxious to try. You saw it on, is it Momarsh's new vest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We have a couple of them coming. Yeah, so we ordered them. We haven't tried them. So uh, that's definitely something that we think we're going to do a video on, uh, you know, first impressions and a fit of this vest because it's supposed to be like a one size fits all, super adjustable, modified vest. Yeah, it Um, looks really cool. Because what we've run into in the past with our neoprene vests that we use on our short hairs is they're very much made for labs, which are not built anywhere near short hairs because short hairs typically have really deep chests and then like itty bitty waists. Um, and those generic neoprene vests don't always fit and they're them less, right. they're less round where your labs got a little more bulk. More of like shape, that round barrel testing chested whereas Where your short hairs are really deep oblong. and long yeah and so they don't fit right and then they're restricting in the arms a lot of times or in that shoulder area so we're excited to try out this new neoprene vest um, from Momarsh and we are going to do a video on our first impressions and how the dogs fit with them and how they can maneuver with them and things like that but also I wanted to mention we also use chest protectors um, not necessarily vests but chest protectors when it comes to hunting them in the field, especially depending on the type of cover. Um, Our females, because they've had litters and have nursed before, typically have a little bit more enlarged teats. And we want to protect those from getting really tore up in the field. Um, But even some of our male dogs, which... It depends on the type of cover, especially. When I'm up in South Dakota, we hunt food plots or we hunt that, uh, that. It's primarily food plots, milo leaves, corn leaves, stubble. All of those things really tear them up. Really abrasive. Where just grass around here, I won't typically wear a vest on them when we're hunting Kansas just because the grass is not nearly as abrasive as some of those 
food plots. But and the other side like of it too, with those like chest that. protectors, which we've seen firsthand, is they just give you that little bit extra level of protection for dogs that are hopping through fences. We've sure had dogs that. tear right through that that chest protector and they didn't get a scratch on them. So definitely that can be an added bonus too, depending on where you're hunting. If you're hunting a lot of fence rows and things like that, that might be a good option for a little bit of extra protection from um, those barbed wire crossings. But the ones that we found that work the best are, they're called Bird Dog Armor, and they have Bird Dog Armor 2 now, I believe, but it's a vest made by Lion Country Supply. And we do have it on our website under our recommended items. Um, we don't sell it, but we do really like it. We have used that vest for years. We've tried lots of other different chest protectors, skid plates, things like that. And the Lion Country Supply one really, A, fits our dogs well. It's pretty adjustable, as well as holds up um, to the type of cover and environment that our dogs are hunting in. Absolutely. Great questions. Really good questions this time. Thanks guys for watching. We're going to take a short break here and we will be back with you for part two. All right, guys, and welcome back to part two of this week's Yawa. Yes, and we want to make an announcement. We're making an announcement in every part this week because we're making a little bit of a transition. So previously, we've been asking for our Yawa questions on our social media platforms, uh, Facebook and Instagram primarily, but we also take, you know, emailed in questions, messaged in questions, texted in questions, um, as well as uh, we've want to take some more questions from YouTube. That's where we, you know, are posting these videos. So that's where we want to start taking some of the questions from or the most of the questions. So if you have a question and you want it answered on Yawa, reply or comment, comment. comment. It's called commenting, whatever. Replying, commenting. This video. Yes, these videos. And then we can go through and pull up these videos and pull questions for next week's Yawa right from here. Bong. Absolutely. Wanted to say uh, thanks to Lee. Everybody wants to know what we're drinking. Cat is on the red beerish kick with one of those styling koozies. Yeah, these are uh, on our website as well. Mission Mercantile leather koozies. And it's really cool. They've got magnets. Is this magnetic? Ooh. <laughs> it is. It's like my new... I don't know if you can see that 100% on the video. You have to bring it in a little closer. It can't come in any closer. Yeah, can it do that inside of that? That for sure. No, it Right here. This is as close as it can get. Oh, it's got to be on the frame. Yeah, got to be on the frame. Okay, well, hopefully, I think it can see that. I mean, otherwise, it's like literally cutting the video off, like right by my face. So I'm sure it can see that. But it's magnetic, so you can like magnetic it to things. Yep. Magnetic. Whatever. Um, I am drinking Journeyman Distillery's Last Feather Rye, which has a really, really cool label on it. This came from Lee, um, a good client and friend of ours. And I wanted to say thank you for that. And I am uh, just blurting out things that I taste as we go because I'm trying to figure out this is, it's a very tasty rye and it has a lot of interesting, you know, very subtle undertones to stuff here. So far we've established it's rye-ish, spicy, peppery, kind of like a typical rye is, but it does have a hint of a little bit of vanilla in there and maybe some, like a go-to 
flavor. Just you could you could pretty much open any American or bourbon or rye whiskey and say, I taste caramel. That's a it's a real and if you said that people would be like, Oh yeah, yeah, it's there. So, so you know, tip whiskey tasting tip of the Just day. Say it tastes like caramel. And yeah, I, I taste hints of You've got caramel a very here. refined mm. palate then? Is that what that means? I, I don't know what it means. Well, whatever it means, we're going to start answering some questions. This question, which is really fun because it kind of ties back in with last week's Yawa. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Read it. I'm getting there. Okay. From Jed underscore Ellie May underscore the Britneys on Instagram. Montana hunting tips, planning our first trip for September. So I wanted to, I wanted to answer this question because, right, we um, talked about our Montana trip that we're planning in our last Yawa, where we're actually taking Aiden, our son, with us, um, which is going to be interesting and definitely a little bit different than any hunting trip we've ever taken before because, you know, we've got a toddler with us. So we're going to be doing some review stuff. I've got some folks that have already sent in some things. Thank you very much. Yes, we appreciate. Um, since he's our first, we and we've never gone on a hunting trip with him like this before. It was, it was Chet's and then um, like a baby a backpack yeah, type of thing, like a backpack designed for more hiking and outdoor stuff to and for toddlers, whole, more be, of a toddler sized child. Because yeah. we have like the ergo baby infant sized one, which he's I was way thinking about trying to utilize now. that, and I was like, that that's ain't not going to work. So thank you for the um, recommendation, but. Getting back to answering your question about hunting tips for going to Montana. First of all, if you haven't, you should watch the Montana hunting trip video that Ethan put on out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you actually talked about like a packing list and some of the things that you brought on that we trip. did on some of the, they were just general traveling videos. Um, and then okay. what we ended up seeing, well, that was the well, thing is I did a project for Kent, um, who is the the official ammo of Standing Stone Kennels? We did a a like a social media takeover. Yes. So all of those videos ended up being stuff that they utilized, oh. and we shot um, vertically for their stories. Instagram stories. Yep. And they have not been used for anything else. So unfortunately, oh, I thought that you had a well. The packing was for Texas. That was a either one. way, though. Go back to our channel, subscribe, watch some of our hunting videos because yeah, please those subscribe. Act- we appreciate it. We do appreciate that because we do actually go over what our normal packing list is when we travel with dogs and go on hunting trips, which are really good things to throw in the truck for you as well. So I would definitely talk about um, things that you're going to need on your hunting trip. So having your pack packing list planned out would be something to, um, prepare for ahead of time so that when you're packing the truck, you can check off your list of things that you, I always do that. Yes. Make a list and I start, I don't pack like some people pack and prepare weeks in advance and months and, and, and days and whatever in advance. I do not do that. I pack right before we leave. And that's a lot of times because I'm limited on the number of supplies that I have. So I can't have all my dog dishes sitting packed up in a tote. Because we got to feed dogs. Yes, because I got to feed the dogs. And so I just have a list. And then I add things to that list constantly and organize that list so that I know for sure I've got all the things. And then I don't leave until I have everything checked off that list. Yes. So that would be one tip. Have your packing list. If you need more help figuring out what to put in a packing list, let us know and we can come up with something. That might be a really cool video to do is like the generic what to pack when you go hunting list. That's an absolutely great video. Write it down. 
producer. Producer. So um, we also, I want to say another thing that could be really beneficial, depending on what you're planning on doing, would be some form of map system. And what we're going to be using in Montana this year is on X maps. Now, the only thing that's going to be, and you can actually download maps. I am 99% sure for areas that you're going to be that potentially may or may not have cell phone reception, but it will tell you the, from a plots, almost plot standpoint, who is paying the taxes. It's not also always who you need to call, but who's paying the taxes on that property so that you can figure out how to get a hold of them. And it will show all of the public hunting areas, whether that's in out there. A lot of it is um, BLM land, I believe is what it's called. But it will show, it will say, these are the the public hunting areas that you can go into. And this is, then you can look up from there on websites, whether or not it's a specific area that you may need to have steel shot versus lead shots acceptable, or you have to walk in or drive in most public stuff. You have to walk in, but um, anyhow, on X maps is uh, something that we'll be utilizing. I know for sure. Yes. And then the other two things that I want to mention, because yeah, we're going on this great hunting trip. We've got all of our, you know, hunting supplies, dog supplies packed. We know where we want to go. We've got that planned out, but things that get overlooked, especially for September trips is that's pretty early season stuff. Oh yeah. One, we want to make sure that we've got our dogs in pretty good condition. Condition is huge. So you've got a little over a month ish because it isn't the beginning of September. We're not quite to the beginning of August that the, that the season opens. So you've got some more time, but you've got about a month that you can start conditioning your dog so they can be as in good of shape as possible so that you don't get there. And then they're super sore, um, whether their pads are sore or they're just muscles are sore for recovery. Pads is a huge thing. So when we went out to Montana last year, I mean, it's a lot of big rolling Hills and some um, there are some valleys that water runs through, but there were definitely some rockier areas that we hit in. We were kind of like the central part of the state. So, but there were some rocky areas that we hit. And if our dogs had not been conditioned and prepared the way that they are, which our dogs begin August one, so we will have four weeks of solid conditioning before September one opens up and we're planning more like a mid September trip so that we can get away from a little bit of the heat, but hopefully prevent uh, last year when we went, it was closer to the end of the month and when the, there was a cold snap that came through just kind of more or less a little early, but randomly, but that cold snap with the grouse aspect of things, a lot of times pushes them into bigger groups and they get flightier. So we makes that. them harder to hunt. Yes. Harder to hunt because the young earlier season groups are smaller, like eight to 12, maybe less eyes. And that's a lot less eyes looking for trouble. Yes. And that first day of hunting. Was, I mean, it was lights out. We were on top of them, birds getting pointed, everything happening. The second day of hunting, that kind of was a rainy day, so it was a little harder to find stuff. And then that cold snap kind of pushed in. And that third day of hunting, I mean, we saw groups of 50 to 60 birds, probably give or take. And most of them were flying over the hill, kind of spooky. Not, not oh, just out of shock. No, it was just like, oh, there goes a group, I guess. Uh, Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. So, um, we're going to try and balance that a little bit. Um, not by, by no means mid September instead of late September, 
or early September. We're going to split the difference, see if that'll work for us. But um, so getting your dogs in shape. And then also I watched the videos, but I've never been to Montana, but there's some rolling hills out there. Get your butt in shape. (laughs) Get your butt in shape. So um, if you follow along on our YouTube channel, which I hope you do, and I hope you subscribe, uh, you may have seen a video that we posted recently of me doing a clicker training free shaping video with Zephyr. I was in a boot. I just had surgery on my foot um, for plantar fasciitis, which I've been struggling for about two and a half years with. I've tried lots and lots and lots of different things um, and finally said, let's try this. It's not full on surgery, but it was called 10X. Um, But that was my like, we need to get this done so that my foot can be better because I'm not sitting in the truck crying because I can't hike these hills. So uh, that was part of me getting my butt in shape is getting my foot fixed, making sure that we have good boots, which we hopefully do with our new Loa Renegades, which is another video we put out about showing um, our first impressions, which my insulated ones with a new pair with a right and a left boot are hopefully on the way. Yeah, I got shipping confirmation on those, so they're Perfect. coming. Which I won't, know, I won't need those in September, but I'm hoping that they come. I can try them on. They fit, so we've got them ready for maybe South Dakota. Well, I started wearing my uninsulated ones already. Kind of just loafing around here. You can try and break them in easy, break my foot into them easy. And I've done a little bit of short amount of hiking. I mean, I probably haven't even put two miles on them, maybe, at the most. And... All of that being said, so far they feel really comfortable. And what I plan to do is to show a true workup of how these boots are going to hold up to what I'm doing this fall. And I'm going to take a day, a picture, the first day that I start hunting in them. And then I'm going to take a picture every single day through the end of the season and do like a video montage, time lapse. Yeah, video time lapse would be the right word and show you the wear and tear that the boots take. And then We'll do a recap kind of on how well they actually held up. That'll be coming out uh, when I finish, finish, which will probably be cabin fevers like the March, last hunt yeah. in March. So, so it'll be September through March hunting season, basically. Yeah. So, yep, and yep, I yep. haven't really gotten a chance to wear and break mine in because of this foot surgery. So uh, hopefully when which that I will switch away from, from the uninsulated ones at some point in time in there. But yeah, you'll have still. to. But then when we come back to Kansas for some of the other stuff that we do late season. Oh, or on, on, uninsulated. Mostly uninsulated, yeah. yeah. So anyway, where was I going with that? Oh, getting your butt in shape. Get your butt in shape. I digressed. So get your butt in shape. Um, Eat make less, sure that you, move more. Yeah. Simple stats. And make sure that you have, um, you know, the proper gear and equipment for yourself as well. So that was a really good question. And we still have time for more. Love it. Next question is from Nelly the Kid One on Instagram. Nelly the Kid. Scariest thing to happen to you while you were hunting? <sighs> well, I believe I know yours. Okay. Well, what's yours then? Mm-hmm. Or do you want me to tell my story? Tell yours. I'm going to have to think a little bit because okay. I really haven't had too many scary things. I've had a few, but not enough that really like jump out and hit me as. Super, super scary. Okay. So my scariest was falling through the ice mm-hmm. in South Dakota. Is that what you thought? Yeah, that's what I was. I, Fall- that would have been my, I mean, that would top my list if I'd ever done anything like that. Yeah. So falling through the ice in South Dakota, um, we were hunting along the edge of a slough, uh, cattail slough, and uh, 
I was walking along the edge. The ice was super solid. Everything seemed fine until it wasn't. And then I fell through about up to my chest. That was my saving grace. Like I was just along the edge and it uh, wasn't actually deep enough to go above my chest um, because otherwise I don't know how I would have actually gotten out. Um, So I actually fell through, kept my gun above the ice um, and then used some of the cattails along the edge and kind of laid out on the ice and pulled myself out. But then we had, how long do you think it was until we got back to the truck? Oh, 30 minutes or an hour to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour range. Yeah. And so I was soaked clear up to my chest in ice water. Um, There's snow on the ground. It was, I don't even know how cold it was out below freezing. I would say Um, it was cold. It was cold. And uh, my saving grace was I kept moving. um, And as soon as we got back to the truck, I changed out of all that wet gear. Um, I borrowed a pair of pants from one of the other girls that was hunting with us. Jess, actually, Mm -hmm. Um, I had to wear my wet boots, but she had a dry pair of socks. So I tried to get as much moisture out of those boots as possible. And then, um, I had to wear my same wet coat and wet vest and stuff, but got a chance to dry out a little bit and warm up, which was the important thing in the truck after that happened. Uh, but that was pretty scary. It was definitely one of those like panic moments. Um, and then you go, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? But then it really made me start thinking, I'm like, this was scary. And I was able to get out and I'm a human. And I thought through this process, Um, And so it made us really cautious about letting the dogs go out on the ice at all, um, because if it was going to break through for me, I'm definitely heavier than our dogs, but um, there's weak spots in the ice that they could have busted through. And if it had been out in the middle of a pond, it would have been a pretty scary situation. So I would say that I have a couple scarier situations, not scarier than that. I mean, just scary situations hunting and all of them have been dog related. So, um, Specific to you, and this, what you just said made me think of another one, but see, I've been really, really fortunate. Um, I've not really had an accident. I've not really had anything. Yeah. Knock on all the things. Um, I've been very fortunate and I would say when I started guiding, like my first real guiding gig, I was at Greystone Castle, which is a place down in Texas, right outside of Dallas, Fort Worth area, about a little less than an hour. It's a really cool facility. It's an Orvis Endorse place. And I mean, it's top notch. If you want to go top notch, give me a call, uh, set it up and I will come hunt with you down there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's cool. So the whole place looks like a castle. I mean, it's, it's, it's very cool. And they've so, done a lot of updating and remodeling recently, which I makes was, it look yeah. like we've watched some of their new promotional videos and things like that. It looks looks nice. nice. Yeah. It looks really nice. I've, we go to uh, an event or have for quite a few years. It's in Fort Worth and they always do like Greystone always does some donation hunts and stuff. And I always try and buy them, but they're always, you know, just uh, above my pay grade basically. So we, um, but I'd love to go back someday. Maybe we'll make it work sometime. Maybe the, um, I was there hunting and this was with Grandpa Rex. Everybody that follows us knows Grandpa Rex. So this is going on like. Well, he's almost 15. So this would be nine or 10 10, years, probably 10 years ago, 10 years ago. um, We were hunting this area and it had it had like a ditch kind of and the road was raised up. And so there's a big elevation change from where we were at. And these birds came out of the cover and flew up that way. And the dogs were headed up that way 
towards where the birds were. Well, they're climbing that elevation. Yeah. And we're standing down low where the road is about shoulder height-ish or just a little bit lower. But I see a shot come across the road and the shot all hits the road. And then Rex pops up. You know, I mean, it was like that fast. It was like, boom, Rex is here. So literally a split second before Rex lost his life. And seeing things like, or got seriously injured, but at that distance, I would, I would guess it would have been more than seriously injured. So that was very scary. The, but it was dog related, right? I mean, we've talked about this in other videos about like safe hunting practices and keeping in mind elevation changes and where the dogs are at when you're taking those shots, because no one bird, no, any bird are is worth the potential of shooting no. a dog or let alone another person that you're not as aware of where they're at. So knowing where you're shooting is very important. But that was scary. It was eye opening to me. And I put more emphasis on educating people and trying to help keep focus and safety um, talks, safety talks, safety talks. And, and learning about how to help handle people that maybe are not as familiar with the dogs being around. And Since then, I do a lot less guiding for different groups. I do a lot of guiding for the same people every year. And you get to know those people. They respect you. They respect the dogs that you have out there. And that becomes a good relationship. Now, a few years ago, this is another, it's a dog-related thing. So I had help. And another gentleman was running dogs with me. And I went down to block at the end of the field. And it's, it's a pretty straightforward thing. I pulled down to block. There's supposed to be a few trucks following me and then they start marching down the field. Well, I get out and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing happens. And then I see trucks like tearing down the road and getting out of there. And it's like this scary feeling because something happened happened, down there, but I can't get anybody on the phone. And then finally I get a phone call that one of the dogs had gotten hit and run over on the road, which is where we were at. So it's always, we always put a huge, 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 huge emphasis on where our dogs are at which is why our program is primarily based around obedience. Um, Keeping your dogs under control before hitting the field in a heel position, which is why yes. we put so much emphasis on healing and off-lead healing. So when your dogs are out of the vehicle before you hit the field, before everybody's organized, you can keep them where they're under control, where you can keep an eye on them, even while people are still grabbing their gear and getting vehicles moved around and maneuvered around because... Well, Things yes. like this could happen. Yes. And and the worst part is you hear uh, it was on a road, right? So you think somebody driving by hit the dog. No, it was somebody pulling out to, to go down, down into the block. field. They weren't paying enough attention. And the dog was, you know, kind of running around. Excited. And and- they literally pulled out less than two, three feet and just, well, probably five feet. But it was a very short distance. It was just pulled out, clunk, clunk. And big truck there. I mean, there was no chance, but it was just a, it was a bad deal and it was very scary. And it put me in a situation. I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just talking about it. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And not only did that ruin the whole situation, it ruined the day, it ruined the hunt, it ruined, ruined everything. So, um, you know, being able to be aware and since then I've been even more aware. Now I, again, knock on all the things have never had anything happen to one of my dogs. While we've or, been hunting like that. Yeah, no, but it was one of those things that it was very scary and very eye opening. And then last comes back with Kat was talking about, this was not on the same trip, but it was on the next trip. And because we, we just, knew about the ice. Yes. We just had that scary experience and we were hunting with some other people 
And I am, again, we're hunting the edge of this pond and this pond is frozen over-ish where but it you looks can like see there's soft a little, spots in yeah, it. you could see that change in the ice where it looks soft or it looks discolored-ish, different from everything and else. And there was even a little bit of water on top of the ice there where it had yes. had some melt happening. No idea. And I'm blocking kind of this edge of the pond. We're trying to avoid the pond, but there's really good cover along the edge. So keep the dogs out of the pond. You should be fine. It's, um, and this dog comes. Not one of our me. dogs. No, it was another guy that we we're hunting with. And the dog comes up to me and it's right on the edge of this pond. And I'm like calling the dog to me, trying to get the dog, coaxing. Hey, puppy, puppy, let's go this way. Like, let's just walk. And he's like, Meh, runs right through the middle Straight of the pond. And I'm sitting pond. here going, <sighs> like, right, I'm just waiting for this dog to break through the ice and disappear. And I mean, I'm like, there is zero way. I mean, somebody will die in the process of trying to get out there to save that dog. And unfortunately, I mean, in the the laws of value, I guess, if that's the word you want to use, I mean, nobody needs to die in that situation. But and you would just hope and pray that that dog could get enough purchase on the edge of the ice and pull themselves out. I mean, it's a best, very scary situation. We don't, we don't have would, any ropes. We don't have any, you're, nothing. you know, a half a mile from the truck again. What are you going to do? And you I'm know, fast, I'm not that fast. Yeah. And it was definitely, um, scary. Luckily, knock on wood. Thank goodness. Nothing happened. That dog didn't break through. The ice was tougher than it looked. Um, but we were like, once that dog got back across the pond, we grabbed him and we're like, dude, listen, you are not going across that pond any more times. So, um, but no, I watched that happen and that was very scary too. Cause it had recently, it was like the next trip up to South Dakota after I'd fallen through that I watched this dog do that. And I was like, this is going to be bad. Well, luckily it wasn't in, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, at this point, Maybe somebody could refresh me that hunts with us could refresh my memory, but I, I can't think of any other I've had some stories. I mean yeah, we could tell some hunting stories. Some but lacerations as far as, and things as far like as that. Really scary, scary stuff. Um Those would those be would my be the, scariest. Those would be the big ones. Yeah. Yep. That's a really good question. Really good question, a good one to end on for this part, and we will be back shortly with part three. Thanks for watching. Okay. All right, and welcome back to part three of this week's Yawa. I uh, wanted to touch on one thing really quick, which is we are changing things. We have been posting for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks uh, a post that says, hey, ask us your questions on Instagram and Facebook, and we're not going to be doing that anymore. So if you have questions... We want you to throw them in the comments on YouTube videos. Specifically, the Yawa videos are fantastic, easy for us to sort through. But we want to answer the questions of the people that are actually watching these videos, which are on YouTube. So we're going to be changing that. Please throw your questions up in comments on YouTube. Yes. And we are going to get started answering some more questions because we've got so many good ones. And I know we're going to run out of time and I hate that. We, are, we have good ones. I'm drinking Journeyman Distillery's Last Feather Rye Whiskey, and this was a gift from Lee, a customer and friend. Thank you very much. Let's I'm drinking started. a red beer because... Because you're red beerish. Because I'm a red beer fan. 
from Nikki Jane on Facebook. We are getting our puppy in a couple of weeks. Congratulations. Awesome. That's exciting. Any advice on what the first few days, weeks will look like? We are off work for a week or so, um, for a week, so we'll be home. So good question. Uh, first of all, I want to mention we have a couple videos on, well, we have a lot of videos on our YouTube channel, but the one that I'm thinking about is like the day in the life of the puppy with thunder. Yeah. We've actually got a playlist for thunder. So it would be under that playlist, uh, that talks about, you know, what a 24 hour day would look like for him. Definitely check that out as well as on our website. I've got a few articles that I've written about um, preparing for your new puppy, things to set you up for success with crate training and potty training and things like that. So those articles would be really good to read through and kind of have an idea of what you're going to be getting into. But I also want to mention, um, so you're off work for the first week, which is awesome. But I think that um, people do this a lot where they're like, well, we're getting a new puppy. So I'm going to take a week off. I've got some vacation time. Um, It'll be perfect. Or they get their puppy over the summer and they're a teacher. So they're off all summer long and they make the mistake of having the puppy be out and part of everything all the time. And they don't do any crate training hardly for that first week or for the entire summer. And then rude awakening for your puppy when you go back to work. Absolutely. Um, or these people that have been having the opportunity to work from home during everything with COVID. Uh, then they have to go back to the office and their puppies are like, wait a minute. I haven't been crated this entire time. And now I'm being crated. This is beep. So... <laughs> Beep, 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 beep. So definitely make sure that you are starting out at home with your puppy on the same routine that they're going to have once you have to go back to work. So now you are right training. So you can let them out more often and have success and build off of that. Yeah. So for that next week, they can get better at their potty training for sure, but they still understand the importance of crate training and that there will be crate time. Plan on a couple sleepless nights. That's going to be part of it. Um, And then as they get better, you need to challenge them. See how long can they sleep? Don't set timers to wake them up. Allow them to sleep. And then when they wake up, let them out to go to the bathroom. Now, some dogs are going to be needy. Some dogs are going to need to be close to you. Some dogs are going to be okay and need the lack of stimulants. Which I would actually point out. So Thunder was um, a puppy that had to kind of be put back in the back room. Yes. Out of, I don't want to say out of sight, out of mind, but if he couldn't see or hear what was going on, he was much... out of sight, out of mind for him. For him, yeah. yeah. It was easier for him to settle down. He is actually in the back garage right now. Um, while we're doing this because he otherwise feels like he's missing out. Whereas Zephyr is in a crate right right next to us. Because if he's in the back room, he cries the whole time. Because he misses us and he wants to be near us. He doesn't have to be out, but he wants to be with us. Just completely two different personalities. So you have to figure out what's going to work for your puppy. Absolutely. Um, So it's kind of cool that we are raising them and they're, you know, a little over six weeks in age apart, but completely different personalities. Now, if this is your first time to the channel, guys, definitely hit that subscribe button right down here so that you don't miss any of our upcoming videos. This question we have got to answer because um, it's something that I think it's overlooked by a lot of people or misread by a lot of people. Okay. So Michelle Vasquez, which if I pronounced your name wrong, I'm sorry, especially because you're a top fan, boom, on Facebook. (laughs) Hey, y'all. 
I have a 15-month-old Rhodesian Ridgeback RR, Ooh, uh, cool. intact male. He has an older brother, a seven-and-a-half-year-old Doggo Argentino. We have noticed that our younger dog- Doggo went- Argentino? I don't know. That's what it says. Looking it up. Okay. Uh, we have noticed that our younger dog, when playing outside, purposely runs his shoulders or chest into his brother. He also walks shoulder to shoulder with him and cuts him off or at least tries to. It's to the point that our other doggo has to stop and keep trying to walk a different direction. It's not a behavior we have seen before. We are working hard and trying to remind him not to do that. Our older dog gets frustrated. Is this something that can be a major issue down the road or is it just puppy play and we are overthinking it? So great question. You're actually being super observant and that's um, awesome. Your Rhodesian Ridgeback is 15 months old, starting to come. Ooh. Cool. Yeah. It's Doggo Argentino. It's another breed. So it's a large, white, muscular breed of dog developed in Argentina, primarily for the purpose of dog big, fights. No, no. no I'm big, just teasing. Big game It looks hunting. like it would be a like a fighting dog. So um, Big game hunting. And it looks pity. You know a what I mean? A little bit, yeah. But more... Longer built, necks, longer, longer legs, yeah. not so short and stocky, and including wild boar. So, um, similar to the Rhodesian Ridgebacks, or even like curs, fall into this category of big, muscly, strong dogs. That's really cool. Really cool. Foundation First, stock, Great Dane, Boxer, Spanish Mastiff, Bulldog, Bull Terrier, English Pointer. There's some of that leg in there. Uh, and Irish the Great Wolfhound. Dane, obviously. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> No, that's really cool. So the fact that you're being super observant and recognizing these things that your dog is doing, he's 15 months old. He's probably hitting about that testosterone driven sexual maturity, um, phase in his life. And he's, that's the, that's when the boundaries get tested. That, I mean, pushing it, the envelope. It's usually what he can get away with. somewhere between 12 and 24 months and right around that 13, 14, 15 range is when we see it. And he's seeing what he can get away with. And he's trying to exert his dominance over your other dog. And he's pushing and he's testing. Um, you know, so he's bumping chests and rubbing shoulder to shoulder to see who's going to give. And your All other. That's very, very, very subtle, subtle. Dog, dog, subtle dog language. Yep. And it's subtle signs of dominance. And he's pushing your other dog around saying, hey, I'm the big dog here. You better move out of my way. And for now, your older dog is giving to him. He's saying, okay, I'm just going to go this way. Or, okay, whatever. I'm not going to push this. But if it keeps going and escalating, eventually your other dog could get, like you said, frustrated. And instead of giving to it and saying, well, I'll just go this way, then he'll be like, little boy, knock it off. And we have a dog fight on our hands. And And with two big dogs dogs like like that, that, it's a serious dog fight. A, they can seriously damage each other as well as whoever tries to break that up could get seriously bit. And then you've got big decisions on your hand of what you're going to do. Somebody got bit, especially if it's, you know, somebody outside of the family or something or little kids. So the fact that you're registering that this is probably not good behavior is really good. And a lot of people don't recognize those little subtle signs, even dogs putting their head on top of another dog's back or shoulders. You know, that's a dominance position um, or putting their paws up on their back. And, you know, even if their ears are pinned and their butts wagging and tails happy, it still is subtle dominance and people don't read it right. And that's when things escalate. They're like, I don't know what happened. They were just playing and all of a sudden they started killing each other. Well, they weren't (laughs) really playing um, and it was Mm. 
just something that you weren't reading properly. And dogs have dog language and all of those little things that you're seeing are part of that. So nipping it in the bud, redirecting your other dog's focus. We talk about this a ton and it is advocating for both, right? So it's not okay for the old dog to grump at the young dog. It's Which not it doesn't okay. sound like he's doing right not now. Yep. Um, and it's not okay for the young dog to pester the older dog. You need to say to both of them, hey, psh, knock it off. Now there is the... The other mentality that you can say you can let them sort it out, but at what cost? cost? At what cost? And like we just said, with those two powerful breeds, big dogs. um, The cost could be big. Could be big. So stopping it and intervening yourself before it escalates to that point would be our recommendation. 100%. So thank you for the question. It was a really good one. Good luck. Keep us posted. So we have a quick question that I just want you to answer quickly. Got it. Probably not going to be a quick question from Aaron Mumblu, which I think I pronounced your name right before. So I hope I got it right again. Um, Ethan, in a lot of the videos you talk about guiding, yeah. which states do you guide in and how does one sign up for or get to go on one of those guided hunts? Okay. So I guide in South Dakota primarily. Um, I am doing this year and this is new. Okay, folks, this is new. I'm doing uh, quail hunts in Kansas, and I am doing potentially a few limited spots, quail hunts in the panhandle of Texas. So those spots are open, and what you need to be able to do is email me, say you want a guide that's as cool as me and, and has a mustache. And has really nice dogs. And has, more importantly, has really nice dogs and access to birds. So Um, The South Dakota aspect of things is booked up for this year, I believe, unless you're interested in a late season hunt. There are some spots for late season hunts, but I'm not 100% sure if those are full or not. So the guiding aspect of things in South Dakota, it takes a big group. We're talking eight to 10 people. You need eight to 10 people. If you don't have eight to 10 people, you don't have enough, period. The way our property works, everything is set up. You need a lot. That, again, you can email me if you're interested in signing up for something next year. We're pretty much booked South Dakota. The um, quail aspect of things, we need small groups. The exact opposite of South Dakota. We need two people. Three is the pushing the limit, but two people to come hunt. You get a buddy, come down, hunt with us, um, and we've got a really cool operation for quail in Kansas, not very far from where we're at. And then the the panhandle of Texas is looking insane. I talked to that guy actually today and he said, numbers are booming. So they are having good weather just like we are. I would um, just reach out to us if you are interested in some quail hunting. There's the potential to see a pheasant. The likelihood is small. Good job. That's what I've got. Email me. Email Email him. Email me. So this was a fun question from Christy Rains. I love the pic you posted recently of Nix as a puppy. That was such a cute picture, kind of a throwback. Um, and it's on our Instagram channel if you flashback. didn't get a chance to see it. Or flashback. Facebook. What What did I say? Throwback? Yeah, it's a flashback Friday. That's oh, the F. Oh, it was F's. on Friday? Yeah. Oh, whatever. I didn't post it. You did, so I don't remember these things. Throwback what Thursdays? Gorgeous- is that what it is? Throwback Thursdays. Okay. Flashback Fridays, Flashback I guess. Fridays. Uh, what a gorgeous boy. Well, thank you. Yeah, he was a cute little turd. 
Is there some reason why you are now breeding liver roan and black roan, but no liver white or black and white like Nick's? I know other breeders who avoid breeding the GSPs with white for versatile hunting, family dogs. So no, actually, there's not really any reason. Um, We actually had a female rogue that we kept. There's a small reason, but it's not a real reason. So Okay. So we actually kept a female rogue who was colored very similarly to Nick's. My Mm -hmm. mom actually got them confused all the time. Um, even though I'm like, Rogue and Nix look nothing alike, Mom. How can you get them confused? She's like, well, they're both black and white. Well, true. And they're most, mostly white-based. But she ended up um, not working out for yep. our program, but is now living with a really great friend of ours in Michigan, going to live her best life up in the Grouse Woods. Yeah, if you um, actually keep up with our Instagram lives, which happen on occasion, uh, you get to watch her do some roading with her brother, new, new brother. brother. Cooper, Cooper, who's also from our program, mm-hmm. but, um, so no, I love the white based dogs, whether they're black, whether they're liver, um, as well as the roan dogs or the heavily ticked dogs, really, they're all gorgeous to me. Um, but it just so happens that when you've got roan dogs, Roan's a, is a dominant character. It really seems to be, um, prevalent in a litter. So then you may only get one puppy, maybe two puppies that have that whiter base. And because we're evaluating so many things, if everything doesn't indicate that that whiter base dog would be the dog to keep, then I have- Because we're not picking based on color. We're not. And we're basing that on a lot of other characteristics and it'll be like, oh, well, like I'm drawn to that whiter dog. Like I really would like to keep another whiter dog, but then this roan dog or heavily ticked dog has these other characteristics that make it a better candidate for our breeding program at that point, then I don't keep the whiter based dog. So hopefully in the future, we will have the opportunity for some more white based dogs um, in our program because we love them. We love them all. And as far as like versatility wise with hunting for, um, they're flaring my ducks. That is crap. I heard that once. Um, once, probably more than once. Uh, but no. That's the number one. Uh, like, I've gone on a if, few guided. If a guided hunt hunts, isn't going well. They're going to blame it on number the one, dogs. The number one thing the guide's going to blame it on. Yeah, the, the dogs. dogs. Yeah. Pet peeve. Anyway. The dogs um, out there too far pushing birds. Anyway. Nix has actually gone on a Every lot Every guide of, I've ever talked to is a friend of Larry the Cable Guy, so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Nix has actually gone on multiple waterfall hunts and- has done a phenomenal job, is great versatile dog. Uh, throw them in a blind, put a put a neoprene vest on them. That'll help camouflage them a little bit. But Unless you're snow goose hunting, and then he is decoy. Then he's a perfect dog. So, well, he's already a perfect dog, but <laughs> he's my dog. All right, let's go to the next question. And I think it was really funny because you actually mentioned our Instagram Live the other day. And this next question has to do with our Instagram Live. So Boom, Instagram good, Live. Good Here job. Go. From... Hound Horde, which I thought was also a really cool Instagram. I remember them asking a question. Yeah, that's why I'm going to bring it up. Okay. Um, On the live, you asked if I will be running my coon hound. No, but we will be doing cold scent work and other adventures. Would love to hear your raccoon experiences. Also, how do you choose which dogs to take on a hunting trip? I'm going to have to say that coon hunting is going to be saved for another day. Okay, we'll come there's back. Not to, enough there's not enough time, time today to talk about. We'll coon have to hunting. have a coon Old hunting. Duke and Rose. Yeah, Rose did an all right job. I, she was more I, of no, a. We can't. Spoiler alert! I'm thinking rage. of Duke, Rogue, 
Uh, Rose, Rose, excuse me, and Rage were my three coonhounds, and we will we will do another episode. We'll do an episode only on the coonhounds. On the coonhounds, because they're, I mean, we had more adventures with those three dogs than we probably had with all of our other dogs combined. They were just... Adventures. Adventures. That's a good way Ad- to put adventures. it. Adventures. So we'll get into that. But I wanted, I thought it was an interesting question about how do you choose which dogs to take on a hunting trip? Because I'm sure most people have the opportunity to take their one or their two dogs on sure. a trip, maybe three, um, but we have 10 dogs. How do we choose who gets to go and who has to stay? It's easy. It's very easy. Okay. So if I am guiding, I'm going to take the largest selection of finished dogs that I own. Now, with that being said, I incorporate a couple of the young upcoming dogs. And then we try and mix and match. I have a dog that is seasoned, finished, polished, that does nothing wrong. And is a really good bird finder. And I run them with one puppy or two finished dogs and one puppy. Or one finished dog, one has a season, not quite as finished, and then a puppy. So the puppy is out there. Now, in order for that puppy to come along on a guided hunt, they need to understand a few things. One, how to come when they're called. Two, Bird and guns, they've shot over them. They, they can retrieve birds. They can do the basics as far hey, as birds hey, go. Hey. We just had a video that came out on this. The musts that your dog should know before they go hunting and so, the really freaking nice things that you'd like them to know. And all of our dogs that go on that hunt have all the things, not so just we're not the musts. Talk about, they have the really freaking nice. Exactly. Well. So we're not going to talk about what those that young puppy has. What I'm going to tell you is the puppy has the things that we talked about in that video. Just go down the list. It's about there's two, the video. Well, link. it'd probably be two, three videos back from no three, four. Okay, it's probably like six videos back because five, six. I mean, because we're still we're still on and the we're math. in part three. Yeah, so three, six, five, six. The last ten videos. Five, go watch them all. Yes, within the last ten videos, you don't have to scroll very far. You're gonna find what we recommend a dog have before going hunting. All of our puppies have those things, the the must haves and the really freaking nice things. So we have that covered, but they have zero wild bird experience typically, but they can go up there. They're not really adding to, but they're not taking away from the hunt. That's key. If they're out there causing problems. They can't be out there. So those things happen and they gain a ton of experience in that. Now, if I am going by myself or if I'm going with cat or I'm going in a small group, the dogs that I take are the young, inexperienced, know nothing. Now I include the other dogs with that. The dogs that spend the most time on the ground, period, are the puppies because they need the most experience. And I need them to learn that as quickly as possible so they can go in the guide string beginning of next year. Yes. So that's a really good question. And we put a lot into the thought process of who gets to go, who gets to stay. And there was one year when Rex was still a young dog. Because he's going to be 15 this season. He's not going to South he, Dakota. He yeah. didn't go last year, except for on our own personal hunt. He didn't guide, though. No, he went up and hunted three days with us in South Dakota. Did fantastic. Pointed a few birds. Retrieved a few birds. Had a blast. But definitely. But he can't keep up for 30 days. No. Back in the day. So, not too long ago. I think he was probably 12 still. Um, but Ethan took every single dog. Every single dog. I didn't and have those that I didn't take. My buddy Mike had, who he guides a little bit too. And yes, um, so Ethan was gone for 
three plus weeks in South Dakota and I didn't have a single dog to sleep with or hang out with in the house. And I didn't have Aiden yet. So I was like going crazy. Uh, the girls in the kennel at the time, cause they were all girls that were working for us. I think we're about tired of me because I would go out and I would talk their ears off while we're training and doing stuff because I didn't have my dogs. I didn't have my husband <laughs> and I was just going stir crazy. So, um, There will always be now the written rule, unwritten rule, my rule. I will always have at least one dog that stays with me. We got Grandpa Rex this year because he's definitely not going, but um, he's getting older. So we'll see how long um, he is also still around to keep me company at home. But I've always got to have somebody at home with me because I can't I can't do it without a dog or a husband. So, guys, those were absolutely great questions. We appreciate all of you all that sent us in questions. We appreciate everybody that subscribes to the channel. And Folks, we're sorry if we didn't get to some of these questions because I had a lot more that I wanted to. Yes. So if and we if, missed it. If we missed it. Ask it again through YouTube comments next time. YouTube comments only. Or no, Nobody's still watching at this point, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, what we, we get, you know, like a little bit of retention rate. Or if we missed you and you really want your question answered, check out our online dog training community on Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash standing stone kennels. And we will get to those questions on the daily. If you did make it through the end here, you can prove me wrong by typing finished in the comments below. And we will give that some love. Yes, because not many people make it to the end. I'm out of bourbon, folks, and we're out of time. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. And we'll see you in the next video.